Section 24 of Fantasy Fairies and Ghosts by Various. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Madame Crowell's Ghost, Part 3. I was not there six months, and it was winter time when the old lady took her last sickness. The doctor was afeard she might have took a fit of madness, as she did fifteen years before, and was buckled up many a time in a straight waistcoat which was the very leathern jerkin I sit in the closet, off my aunt's room. Well, she didn't. She pined and windered and went off torflin, torflin, quiet enough, till a day or two before her flitting, and then she took to rambling and sometimes skirling in the bed. You'd think a robber had a knife to her throat, and she used to work out of the bed, and not being strong enough then to walk or stand, she'd fall on the floor with her old wizened hand stretched before her face, and skirling still for mercy. Ye may guess I didn't go into the room, and I used to be shivering in my bed with fear at her skirling and scraffling on the floor, and blaring out words that'd make your skin turn blue. My aunt and Mrs. Wyvern and Judith Squales, and a woman from Lexo was always about her. At last she took fits and they wore her out. Tea, sir, was there and prayed for her, but she was past praying with. I suppose it was right, but none could think there was much good in it. And sat at long last she made her flitting and was over. And old Dame Crowell was shrouded and coffined, and Squire Chevenix was wrote for. But he was away in France, and the delay was so long that to Sir and Doctor both agreed it would not do to keep her longer out of her place, and no one cared but just them two, and my aunt and the rest of us from Applewell to go to the burying. So the old lady of Applewell was laid in the vault under Lexo Church, and we lived up at the great house till such time as the squire should come to tell his will about us, and pay off such as he chose to discharge. I was put into another room two doors away from what was Dame Crowell's chamber after her death, and this thing happened the night before Squire Chevenix came to Applewale. The room I was in now was a large square chamber covered with yak panels, but unfurnished except for my bed, which had no curtains to it, and a chair and a table or so that looked nothing at all in such a big room and the big looking-glass that the old lady used to keek into and admire herself from head to heel. Now that there was no mirror that work, was put out of the way and stood against the wall in my room, for there was shifting of many things in her chamber, you may suppose, when she came to be coffined. The news had come that day that the squire was to be down next morning at Applewale, and not sorry was I, for I thought I was sure to be sent home again to my mother. And right glad was I, and I was thinking of her at home, and my sister Janet, and the kitten, and the pig mag, and Trimmer the tyke, and all the rest. And I got so fidgety I couldn't sleep, and the clock struck twelve and me wide awake, and the room as dark as pick. My back was turned to the door and my eyes toward the wall opposite. Well, it could na be a full quarter past twelve, when I sees a lightning on the wall before me, as if something took fire behind, and the shadows of the bed, and the chair, and my gown that was hanging from the wall, was dancing up and down on the ceiling beams and the yak panels, and I turns my head o'er my shoulder quick, thinking something must have gone afire. And what should I see 
by Jen. But the likeness of the old beldame bedizened out in her satins and velvets on her dead body, simpering, with her eyes as wide as saucers and her face like the fiend himself. "'Twas a red light that rose about her in a fuffing low, "'as if her dress round her feet was blazing. "'She was driving on right for me, "'where her old shrivel hands crooked as if she was going to claw me. "'I could not stir, but she passed me straight by, "'where blast a cold air and I sit her at the wall in the alcove, "'as my aunt used to call it, "'which was a recess where the state bed used to stand in old times "'where a door opened wide.' and her hands groping in at something was there. I never sit that door before, and she turned round to me like a thing on a pivot, flyering, and all at once the room was dark, and I standing at the far side of the bed. I don't know how I got there, and I found my tongue at last, and if I didn't blare a yellick, running down the gallery and almost pulled Mrs. Wyvern's door off to hooks, and frighted her half out of wits. You may guess I didn't sleep that night, and with the first light down with me to my aunt as fast as my two legs could carry me. Well, my aunt didn't affront or flight me as I thought she would, but she held me by the hand and looked hard in my face all the time, and she told me not to be feared, and says she, Had the appearance a key in its hand? Yes, says I, bringing it to mind, a big key in a queer brass handle. Stop a bit, says she, letting go my hand, and opening the cupboard door. Was it like this, says she, taking one out in her fingers, and showing it to me with a dark look in my face? That was it, says I, quick enough. Are you sure, she says, turning it around. Sart, says I, and I felt like I was going to faint when I said it. Well, that will do, child, says she, softly thinking, and she locked it up again. The squire himself will be here today before twelve o'clock, and you must tell him all about it, says she, thinking, and I suppose I'll be leaving soon. And so the best thing for the present is that you should go home this afternoon and I'll look out another place for you when I can. Fain was I, ye may guess, at that word. My aunt packed up my things for me and the three pounds that was due to me to bring home, and Squire Crowell himself came down to Applewell that day, a handsome man about thirty years old. It was the second time I sid him, but this was the first time he spoke to me. My aunt talked with him in the housekeeper's room, and I don't know what they said. I was a bit feared on the Squire, he being a great gentleman down in Lexo, and I don't go near till I was called. And says he, smiling, What's a this you send, child? It mun be a dream, for you know there's na sick a thing as a boar freet in all the world. But whatever it was, my little maid, sit ye down and tell all about it from first to last. Well, so soon as I made an end, he thought a bit, and says he to my aunt, I mind the place well. In old Sir Oliver's time, lame Wendell told me there was a door in that recess to the left, where the lassie dreamed she saw my grandmother open it. He was past eighty when he told me that, and I but a boy. The plate and jewels used to be kept there long ago, before the iron closet was made in the arras chamber, and he told me the key had a brass handle. 
and this, you say, was found in the bottom of the kist where she kept her old fans. Now, would not it be a queer thing if we found some spoons or diamonds forgot there? You mun come up wi' us, lassie, and point to the very spot. Loath was I and my heart in my mouth, and fast I held my aunt's hand as I stepped into that awesome room, and showed them both how she came and passed me by, and the spot where she stood and where the door seemed to open. There was an old empty press against the wall then, and shoving it aside, sure enough, there was the tracing of a door in the wainscot, and a keyhole stopped with wood, and planed across as smooth as the rest, and the joining of the door all stopped with putty the colour of yak. And, but for the hinges that showed a bit when the press was shoved aside, you would not consate there was a door there at all. Ha, says he with a queer smile, this looks like it. It took some minutes with a small chisel and hammer to pick the bit of wood out of the keyhole. The key fitted, sure enough, and with a strang twist and a long screak, the bolt went back and he pulled the door open. There was another door inside, stranger than the first, but the lax was gone and it opened easy. Inside was a narrow floor and walls and vault a brick. We could not see what was in it, for twas dark as pick. When my aunt had lighted the candle, the squire held it up and stepped in. My aunt stood on tiptoe, trying to look over his shoulder, and I didn't see note. Ha-ha, says the squire, stepping backward. What's that? Gimme the poker quick, says he to my aunt. And as she went to the hearth, I peeps beside his arm, and I said, squat down in the far corner, a monkey or a flayin on the chest, or else the mace shrivelled up, wizened old wife that ever was seen on earth. By Jen, says my aunt, as putting the poker in his hand. She keeked by his shoulder and said the ill-favoured thing. How care, sir, what you're doing? Back we ye and shut to the door. But in place of that he steps in saftly with the poker pointed like a sword, and he gives it a poke, and down it all tumbles together. Hair and a, in a heap of bayons and dust, little mayor and a hatful. Twas the bayons or a child, aye, the rest went to dust at a touch. They said nout for a while, but he turns round the skull as it lay on the floor. Young as I was, I consated I knew well enough what they were thinking on. A dead cat, says he, pushing back and blowing out the candle and shutting to the door, will come back you and me, Mrs. Shutters, and look on the shelves by and by. I've other matters first to speak to ye about. And this little girl's going home, you say. She has her wages, and I mun make her a present, says he, patting my shoulder with his hand. And he did give me a goad pound, and I went off to Lexo about an hour after, and sa home by the stagecoach, and fain was I to be at home again, and I never said Dame Crowl or Applewhale, God be thanked, either in appearance or in dream at Efter. But when I was grown to be a woman, my aunt spent a day and night with me at Littleham, and she told me there was no doubt it was the poor little boy that was missing Sir Langsen, that was shut up to die there in the dark by that wicked beldame. Were his skirls or his prayers or his thumping could na be heard, and his hat was left by the water's edge. Whoever did it, 
to make belief he was drowned. The clothes at the first touch ran into a snuffer dust in the cell where the bayons was found, but there was a handful of jet buttons and a knife with a green heft. Together were a couple of pennies the poor little fella had in his pocket, I suppose, when he was decoyed in there and sid his last of the light. And there was among the squire's papers a copy of the notice that was printed after he was lost, when the old squire thought he might a run away or been took by gypsies, and it said he had a green hefted knife with him, and that his buttons were a cut jet. Sa that is, I have to say, concerning old Dame Crowl or Apple Whale House. End of section twenty four.